Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. It's the Late Show with Francie Weatherman. If tomorrow all the things were gone I'd work for all my life And I had to start again With just my children and my wife I thank my lucky stars To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today, cause there ain't no doubt I love this land, God bless the USA. From the lakes of Minnesota To the hills of Tennessee Across the plains of Texas From sea to shining sea From Detroit down to Houston And New York to L.A. Well, it's right in every American heart And it's time we stand and say An American, where at least I know I'm free, and I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today, cause there ain't no doubt I love this Welcome 
too. I love that song. Same here. Yeah, I think it's a good song. Same here. It 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 is a fantastic song, and um, yeah, I wanted to say another exciting episode. It is going to be another exciting episode. Um, I'm getting kind of oh, nervous because yeah. I'm looking at the switchboard right now, and Chuck is not called in yet. Um, I'll probably message him in a little while. Um, okay, as everybody knows, yesterday was. Our generation's a date that will live in infamy. 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 Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you. No problem. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I, it was on the tip of my tongue, but you, you know me. Um, anyways, it was it was a devastating day. Everybody will remember where they were that day, and I thought at this opening <clears throat> that maybe we share where all of us was, instead of saying, this is who we got coming up, this is what's going on, let's share where where we were when we realized where we, that we will always remember that moment in time, where we were when we realized it was not an accident. Um, who would like to go first? Yes, I could. I mean, yeah. Okay, Tom. I, yeah, I was like I, I was telling you earlier. I was at Beaumont Hospital in Royal Oak, Michigan. I worked in the TV control room and the video production department at the hospital, William Beaumont Hospital. And I was at the head end, and I just I was putting in VHS tapes to record all the newscasts because we did that with the medical reports and stuff like that, and any new surgeries. And that's I just put them in, and then I had the news. I always had the news on in the morning. And I saw that a plane had hit one of the towers, and instinctively, I don't know, for some reason, I just knew that this was unusual. So I hit record, 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 record. We had five decks, and I just started recording. We had, uh, I think the tapes went for six hours, and I re- put it, rechanged them out when there was a commercial break at the you know, six hours. I think we kept recording because the person I worked with came in, and she worked another four-hour shift after my eight hours, so we recorded 12 hours on the news. Anyways, then I converted the TV channels that were in a lounge, the employee waiting room, uh, cafeterias, lounges, and hit all the, I had a button where I could hit certain buttons to have the TVs go to the newscast there and have it broadcast to everybody. And I, I knew we were, I said after the second one hit, that's not a coincidence. We're under attack. Something's wrong here. This isn't, you know, we're, they're, you know, we're under attack of some kind. So that's what, yeah. that's where I was. I was at work. Well. Wow. Yeah. So I, I, I know in my case, um, I guess I should probably put a disclaimer first and just start by saying that, I, you know, I come from a family of uh, veterans. And so, uh, yep. In, here. in my case, uh, I was I was asleep initially, and then um, my wife woke me up because she was uh, she was going to be working the early shift, and uh, you know the only thing that she said right off the bat was we're under attack, and you know no no sooner did she get the words out than I ended up jumping out of my bed, I ran down the hall, threw open the gun cabinet. Pulled out the sniper's rifle, loaded it, gave it to her, and I'm like, "You go, you take the upstairs bedroom." 
pulled the second gun and pulled up a box of ammo, and I'm like, I'm taking a defensive position. He's like, no, wait. I'm like, no, 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 no. We got this, you know, you know, depending on what's going on. You know, she's like, no, wait, it's in New York. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, okay. Yeah, so understandably we had to, you know, we had the news on while we were reloading and un- unloading everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, needless to say, her boss wasn't too keen on that one when she, uh, you know, unfortunately she's very honest to a fault and she explained why she was late for work. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, Nick, I, I know you're on. Nick, do you remember where you were? Um, yeah, uh, you're talking to me, and I was thinking about it, and I was hoping that you wouldn't, like, uh, say, Nick, uh, do you remember? <laughs> because I, it, it opened up it mentally a, a bunch of, uh, like an onion, layer of onions and stuff. Uh, it, um, I, precisely where I was, was uh, in my room at, at this house at my parents' place, um, uh, and yeah, and uh, I I started seeing it live as it was actually happening on my TV in my room, and then you know in my uh, parents' uh, living room, they um, uh, were watching it too and stuff, uh, and it was just all over the news. Just uh, my um, onion thing is because that's uh, around that time, uh, that's when I met Phyllis, uh, the uh, mother of. Uh, uh, my son Charlie, um, and uh, the the thing is, I I I don't want to like <laughs> go on and on about it, but um, but I met her when I was working at a place called House to Home, which which was a home improvement store, and uh, just right after 9/11, and the whole country seemed like uh, they were like just all like the, everybody's jaws dropped, including mine. Um, uh, about a week after that, about a, or a week and a half, um, uh, it just seemed like everybody was so patriotic around me. And when I went to work, especially, and uh, a memory that I have of that with 9/11 is when they actually asked me um, at the store when I was working to pick up the phone, press the button, and broadcast my my voice singing. I forgot what song. It was kind of like I'm proud to be an American. Maybe it was that one, but it was a patriotic song. And I sung it, and the whole store stopped and applauded. It was really cool. And that was because of 9-11. Everybody was shaken still from that. That's my biggest memory of it. Otherwise, it's just like most other people where I saw it as it happened on television. Yeah, I... I, Um, I'll share my story. Uh, my mom back home, she had a cleaning service, and uh, one of my uh, one of my mom's favorite favorite clients, and along with mine, was a couple named the Browns. And Mr. Brown, he was there with Pearl Harbor. He was there December twentieth. I mean, this guy is one hundred percent. He loves his country. He served his country. He'll fight his for his country. Very a patriotic man, and I adored him for that all the time. Well, we were in his we were in his kitchen, 
and he had this little TV in his kitchen, and he was telling me good morning, and he's like, hey, Frankie, let's watch the news. And we turned it on, and we seen the aftermath of the first plane. And we were both just sitting there, like, in dead silence watching this. And then there was that live news coverage of the second one coming in. And it struck the towers, and we were both quiet. My mouth was open. His mouth was open. And I said, that was no accident. He slammed his hands on the counter, I mean, on the table. He says, hell no, that was no accident. He was mad. He knew. And we were upstairs, and I was, uh, you know, vacuuming the floors upstairs. And he comes into the bedroom, and he goes, damn it, Francie, they just struck the freaking Pentagon. And he was going into his closet, and he wanted to put back on his his military uniform. He was ready to go fight for his country again. And yeah, that's where that's where I was. And, I couldn't imagine of watching that with anybody because you see the tears. You know, you've seen this anger of this guy who fought for his country. And, you know, just the, you guys know what I'm saying, right? The pride that he had and he's going to say, you know, at almost 80 years old, I'm going to put on my uniform and I'm going to go fight for my country again. So, yeah, that's where I was. And no, I hope, yeah. And no. uh, one thing, one thing I would like to say, um, and I didn't want to bring this up, but I, I think it's a good point because um, I don't want to get political on this because we're not a political show. But uh, I Chuck did call in. Chuck, you are live. Um, we're going to bring you on in just a second, and you better remember where you were at nine eleven too. But um, this morning when I was watching the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers and the the Buffalo, Buffalo, Bills. Buffalo, New York game. Did you guys notice that not one football player kneeled during the national anthem? Yep. That brought that was, brought a lot I, of tears to my eyes. I I was I was in my office writing, so I missed it. Not one football player got on their got on their knee. Nobody kneeled. They all stood up and they all had their, they all placed their hand over their heart. And I, I was very proud to see that. <clears throat> all right. With that being said, we do have a show to do. Okay. Yes. And it's, 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 that's, I do appreciate you guys sharing your stories with us, and I hope that all the listeners also appreciate that. Thank you, guys. No problem. You know, I, I, I know at this point, I, I bet our audience probably sees me as Michael Gross from Tremors, but uh, that's all right. I don't have a mustache. <laughs> hey, you know what? You, it, it's kind of funny. when After we got done with the Browns house, me and my mom, we did rush home because nobody had the TV on at the house. And my older brother was in taking a bath. And I said, get the hell out of the bathtub. We're under attack. And he said, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> He's drinking out with a towel. <laughs> so I kind of related to your story. I was like, it's in New York. 
<laughs> and my dad's just sitting yeah, here kitchen like, what? <laughs> yeah, so I, I did her like, we, we didn't have a gun, thank goodness. <laughs> All right, but back by popular demand. On a happier note, Chuck. I am here. Hey, Chuck. Chuck. Woohoo, welcome, yeah. Chuck. <laughs> yeah, welcome. Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's good you, to have you uh, back. The last time you were on the show, very successful. It kicked ass. Well, great. I'm glad to hear that. So, yeah, so I to remember the four I people messaged that you. Me back. I messaged you. Huh? No. I said so to the four people that wanted me back. Thank you, each and every one. That's my mo- <laughs> my mom, my sister, my daughter. Let's see. <laughs> and maybe me. And, I don't and, know who the fourth one was. <laughs> And are the are the checks payable? You got to make sure those checks are payable. Oh, I pay cash. Oh, okay, okay. good, good. You always you piece. always take cash. Never, never, never take a check. Uh, a chapter. Do you remember where you were on nine eleven? Uh, yeah, my story's more boring than was it Tom who thought his home who thought his home was under attack. I came in that was late. Me. I didn't hear who that was. William. Okay. <laughs> I just have a quick question, Tom. How often does your home come under attack? Not very often. <laughs> okay. You seem prepared. That's why I was wondering. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I'm 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 the uh the family um archivist in a lot of ways. So um I have a lot of <laughs> antique weapons that have been passed down over the generations. He he's like so the pass- blue traveler band of Francie and friends. I remember when he was pulled over and there was all that arsenal and then they found out that you know, he's got all these bunkers and everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, William, no, like, I'm moving, I'm moving the, houses. Just relax. Yeah. William's the blue traveler of Francie and friends. Pretty much, yep. But um, like, I think just like most people, I was at work, and I just abandoned my office and went next door to a restaurant that had a big screen TV and just sat there and watched it all day. Because, you know, you're just – you don't believe it's happening. It's just so surreal. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like something that you you would pay $10 at a movie theater to watch. It's like, no, come on. You know, Michael Myers isn't real. This the boogeyman's not real. <laughs> oh, the boogeyman uh-huh. is most certainly real. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you can say that again. <laughs> yeah, he may present now, himself in different forms, but the boogeyman is most certainly real. <laughs> now, now I, I do have a very fun. Um, Follow-up uh, story. Chuck, I think you might get a kick out of this. Speaking of boogeymen and stuff, um, this didn't happen immediately after 9/11, but um, more towards uh, late 2009, early 2010. Um, I, I had a huge—I um, I call it a feather in my own cap, in a matter of speaking—but um, I was given an opportunity to actually mentor a group of uh, university students uh, in Tunisia. On uh, creative writing, and you know the uh, they had that some of the students had followed some of my other projects and things like that, and so the professor had <laughs> approved for me to be a uh, a virtual uh, teacher, in a matter of speaking. And you know, I was uh, at first I was nervous because um, you know being you know, with that being a Middle Eastern country and you know still having the lingering effects from 
2001, um, you know, I checked with a friend of mine who actually worked uh, with the government. I was like, you know, is this something that's going to put me on any type of a red list or, you know, could I take a book signing tour and just go fly after I do this teaching course? And he's like, yeah, they're one of our allies. That's no problem. I'm like, cool. So, you know, I get to the, you know, I open it up the first day of class and, and I'm, I'm like, okay, so, uh, you know, this is what we're going to talk about. This is what we're going to try and do. You know, before we go into the basics on putting the story together, you know, does anybody have any questions or do you want to share anything with the class? And, uh, you know, this one young man uh, raised his hand and, you know, it's a lifelong lesson that I learned was that, you know, people in Tunisia are known for having a interesting sense of humor. So in near perfect English, he's like, hi, I, I just want to do a friendly reminder. First of all, I just want to say thank you for, and you know, the honor of teaching us. We look forward to learning how to write stories. And I know that we're online and this is a virtual thing. I just want to go on record and just say that the terrorists are 7,000 miles southwest of us, and we've been allies with you guys for about 40 years. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, Okay then. <laughs> oh, run! <laughs> I get. Yeah. You, you, how, how, how do you respond to that? You can't. <laughs> you think about it. I know. <laughs> it, it's kind of like thank you. I guess. Yeah, you, you just kind of. Work with what you got. That's all. <laughs> so. All right, we Chuck. Yes, ma'am. There the we. last time you were on our show, your 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 card the the brakes gave out on you. Yeah. And we we mentioned uh, with Joe Mo. Joe Mo just got off the show. He ended up with kidney stones. You come on the show. Your your brake line goes out. Good news is you got your car back. I did. Everything's fixed. My my um, broken wrist is healed, so I'm I'm in one piece this time. So that'll be better. I'm not on drugs this time. Um, so. I may even remember what we talked about. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then now, now with the uh, wrist healed, any possibility of going back to the guitar? Oh yeah, actually, I um, I started playing again like three weeks after. I tried to start like two weeks after or two days after. It took me about two weeks to get where I could do it at all, and about three three weeks later. I actually played a gig in um, Southern California. So. Wow, that's great. Cool. With with a cast still on. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, that, that's determination yeah, right I there. Yeah, so I wasn't that kudos. good. I'm sure I wasn't that good. <laughs> that's not the point, though. I mean, you know, still, you know, just putting the effort into it is, is good enough. That's for sure. It was fun. It was an opportunity that I didn't want to pass up, so we did what we had to do. Hey, oh. hey, uh, Chuck. Hey, Chuck. Yeah. Hi, Nick. How's it going now? Hey. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of concerned there when I heard about your accident, too, speaking of that, because uh, 
uh, uh, what immediately got to me is is not your book Family Man, but your guitar playing. And what I instantly pictured, remember the Robocop remake where Gary Oldman was uh, getting the guy that lost his hands to play guitar again with robot hands? For some reason, I, I thought of that. And I was going, oh, no, what, what's he going to do? <laughs> well, the um, wrist injury actually happened uh, about two weeks before the car decided to climb a telephone pole on me. So it was just a couple of different things there that happened all sort of at the same time. So oh, got all that out of the way, and we've moved on. So. <laughs> and I'm not sure why I keep speaking of myself in the plural sense, but. Hey, at least you're at least you're not the third person. If you ever true. say, and Chuck says, <laughs> and at least you're not trying to climb the Twin Peaks of Mount Kilimanjaro either. <laughs> no, but there is a Twin Peaks very near me. With really? views. Hey, they paid me a dollar to say that. So. Well, I hope you have a damn good cup of coffee. <laughs> let me let me ask you that because you know I I've been watching everything that you do. I mean, you you do a lot, even with Eddie Munster. I Butch. Oh, I forgot his real name. Butch Patrick. Butch Patrick. Yeah, you you even worked with him. Uh, yeah, Eddie he Munster. was in my last movie. Um, Butch is a great guy. He um, met him at a monster con several years ago, and we just struck up a um, conversation and a friendship. And he was kind enough to be in my last movie, and you know, talk to him fairly regularly. Um, he lives fairly near me, and so we're, you know, he's just a great guy, and it was very cool of him to help me out. Um, would, and he, would and he paid be... me to say that. <laughs> I was going to say, would it be impractical of me to say that when I seen that on, because I've been wanting to get him on the show for a long time. Um, I will mention it to him and try to hook you up. And cool. one thing that one thing that was really cool there, I don't know if you've ever seen it. We had Jeff Conaway on the show, Vicky Lizzie. Great people, by the way. They, have you ever seen that commercial with Butch and Jeff and Vicky and Butch's girlfriend where uh, Jeff Conaway shot him? No, I don't think so. Oh, my gosh. I got to send you the link. That is the funniest thing ever. And everybody's like, Vicky, Lizzie, and his girlfriend, he's dying. He's dying. And Jeff Conaway's like, ah, I don't care. Just throw him in the, bury him in the backyard. Oh, I gotta send you that. It, it was ingenious. The the four of them getting together to do that. It it made it seem so real. <laughs> but Butch was uh, promoting his album, and you know Jeff was. Pro- I mean, Jeff and Vicky were promoting the album, and uh, Butch was uh, promoting his book. And it was just. It, I I gotta send you that link. If anybody has not seen it, you gotta see it. It's it, it is absolutely hilarious. It was like the best acting job ever. Nice. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. So, anyways, I didn't mean to talk about you know him so much because you're the guest. Um. 
But that's okay. Butch is my buddy, so that's good. We'll we'll just promote yeah. when he's on the show. So there you go. Yeah, and you can help us host the show. That sounds great. Yeah. If you Makes don't run, it's a lot more easier that way. No, but seriously, let's get let's get back to you. Uh, we talked about it a little bit. Uh, family, family man. Pardon? Family man. Yeah. Uh, yes, and Tom, what? Tom, thank you, thank you for sending me the copy of yours, by the way. Before I forget. Oh, you're welcome. Hope you like it. I'm sure I will. It's it's on my to read very soon stack. Oh, cool. You're welcome. I thank you for sending yours too. Appreciate it. Oh, you're quite welcome, man. Like that'll look look very forward to yeah. it. So unfortunately I, I don't have the time to read that I would like to, so my so my stack grows, but you're I think you're the next thing in line actually, so I'm looking forward okay. to it. Okay. I hope so. Nobody did it did it justice for Rod, so you know. Um I got a question for you. Being a Beatles fan that I am, was Manson really into the Beatles like that? I mean, or was that, you know? Um, I like to quote him a lot when people ask these things. And mm-hmm. um, his thing was, man, that wasn't my trip. Bing Crosby was my trip. Hmm. Like, you know, he wasn't a child of the 60s. He was a child of the 40s. 40, yeah. yeah. He was like 40-something years old when that happened. Yeah, he was 33, I believe. 33, 34, okay. somewhere in there. Um, so a whole but, generation older than the... Oh, yeah. And I think that was a lot of what led you know people to look at him as the leader is because it's only natural that you know someone that is the 13, 14, 15 years older than most of them is going to be perceived as the leader from the outside and also a lot of ways from the inside. Um, I do think he respected the Beatles. I do think he had an interest in them. I don't think he was, you know, just – he thought that was more music, you know, teeny teeny bopper music is what his thoughts on that was. But I still think he liked it. I think he did downplay his interest, but at the same time, I think that – the prosecution and over the years it's been very upplayed. You know, I think he was a really somewhere in between. I think he had some interest, um, but I don't think he was what you would have called a huge fan. Um, he would have had multiple opportunities to have met the Beatles if he had really uh-huh. wanted to. Um, there were plenty of times when they were in the area, and of course, he did have the musical connections through the Beach Boys and through um, Mamas and the Papas and quite a few other big bands that, you know, he could have easily said, you know, hey man, hook me up with the Beatles, and it could have been done. So, you know, the fact wow. that it never happened yeah. said that he wasn't quite as big of Beatles fan as he was portrayed to be. I was going to say, I thought he had more of a connection with the Beatles than the. Mamas and Papas, because those are two, John Phillips and Dennis Wilson were two guys that he actually did meet. Did right, he? I mean, right. Um, major you know, think, major yeah. connection with both of them. Um, you know, in fact, Roman Polanski first told the police to investigate John Phillips of the Mamas and the Papas, yeah. as what he, he pegged him as one of the potential um, suspects in the murders. 
both he and Bruce Lee were two of the first names that Roman mentioned to the police that he thought could have been involved. Why Bruce oh, wow. Lee? Um, because Bruce Lee was one of the few people in the world that you could have thought could have single-handedly killed five people. And well, also he was – yeah, he was heavily um, – he was good friends with Jay Sebring. In fact, Jay Sebring is the one who got Bruce Lee into Hollywood and into acting. Bruce Lee and Jay Sebring um, – or Bruce Lee was um, Jay Sebring's karate teacher. Wow. So he's the one that introduced kind of Bruce Lee into Hollywood. He's the one that helped him get the role as Cato on The Green Hornet. Wow. 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 So, so that's a small so, bit of trivia right there. Yeah, this case yeah. is so deep, and there's so much. And I do cover almost all of it in the book. A lot of it is not intricate to the main story, but uh-huh. I do try to touch on a lot of things. Um what my book, I think, I try to be is kind of a primer to people that you know it'll give you a great overview of what I feel like was the truth of the case, which I don't think most of the stories that have been told are the truth of the case. And that's including Helter Skelter. That's including all these documentaries and everything. They tell you the same old story, and that story is not accurate. So, so where all those white the truth come from? Where all the white um, comes from? Bugliosi. Yeah, it's pretty much. Yeah, it was pretty much created by them. Um, I do think they listened to it. Obviously, the term "helter skelter" does come from the White Album. Uh-huh. So, but I think that was more of a thing of the girls at the ranch than it was so much a Manson thing. Um, helter skelter was more a concept than it was a philosophy, or maybe a philosophy. But not so much. It wasn't a motive for murder. You know, it was totally presented as this is why this happened, and that's not at all why it happened. And Bugliosi himself is quoted as saying, I wish I could find another motive because if I could, I would ditch this helter skelter thing in a minute. Oh, wow. So I guess in one sense, you know, it's kind of similar to what we'd see 20 years later with the satanic panic of the 80s, you know, with Judas right. Priest and Ozzy and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, if you can create fear, and again, not to get political, and I won't take it any further. I'm just going to say it this way. If you can create fear, you can steer people to do what you want them to do. Oh, definitely. You can Absolutely. control a lot of things. Yep. Through instilling I definitely, I 100% agree with that statement. And that's not being political. That is the absolute truth. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. in history. It's pro- history's proven it many times. So exactly. And you know, people look at that. Oh yeah, Manson instilled fear in his followers. No, I think it's more that the prosecution instilled fear in the general public and in the jury. You know, holy cow, if we let this guy out, and it's still it's still happening today. You know, um, Leslie Van Houten is still in jail for participating in one murder, which was arguable even whether Rosemary LaBianca was dead or not when she participated. Nevertheless, that doesn't make her any less complicit. However, the general term for someone that gets life sentence for murder in the United States is 15 years. 
Leslie Van Houten has been in jail for 52 years, and it's only because she's stigmatized by the name Manson. So she's totally a political prisoner at this point. Yeah. Well, I'd also say because she's connected with a real bad, that crime kind of shocked America as a whole. I mean, I don't think anything but, happened like again, that prior. But again, that's the fear factor. Yeah. Um, the Black Dahlia would beg to differ that nothing that bad had ever happened. Jack yeah, the Ripper's victims would beg to differ that nothing that bad had ever happened. Yeah, but they didn't catch them, um, though. I mean, you know. And again, and they it, didn't it, have you know, cameras like you did, you know. Well, and again, come back to Manson's own words. And mm-hmm. not to be disrespectful, I'm quoting Manson here. If that broad hadn't been famous, nobody would care about this. Uh-huh. I, that's exactly what I was going to say, <laughs> because I did watch um, on court TV. It was his live. They were live with his parole hearing. They even said he, he did say that, and he also said, "You're not going to let me out of here, man. I'm your tourist attraction. Exactly. I'm never going to get out of jail." And it was so much about the fact that Sharon Tate was involved, that someone famous was involved. You know, if if it had just been – and you constantly, even when you hear this, Sharon Tate and four others, Yeah. you know, which is very disrespectful to the other victims. Abigail Folger was pretty uh, big family. Yeah, Abigail Folger was there. And then Jay Sebring also, you know, he was internationally known, you know, one of the most popular at that time, the most popular man's hairstylist in the world. And like mm-hmm. that, he had some pretty pretty big Hollywood connections himself. I mean big enough to help his buddy Bruce Lee get the role of Cato and the Green Hornet. Big big enough to guest star on Batman. Wow. If, if you want some trivia there, go back and watch the Batman episode that has Mr. Oceanbring, which is a, you know, little play on the words of Sebring. And that character is a hairstylist, and he is played by Jay Sebring. Huh. Man, now now i got to do research tomorrow. <laughs> i go back and watch you the Batman episode. I watched all of them Honestly, you just opened up a whole new window and things are gushing in like the wind, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah, don't forget to though. bring your can of shark repellent, though, if you're going to start digging through the Batman stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm sure I, Francie keeps shark repellent on her utility belt like the rest of us. I do. Of course, I without do. a doubt. Because <laughs> <laughs> you never know when that tornado is going to hit. <laughs> no, that's pumpkin spice in the coffee pot. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true too. <laughs> that's probably worth the short repellent, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it. I think it is for men. I, I men, it, uh, you guys hate the pumpkin spices, and us women are like pumpkin spice. You men are like you know. Um, I absolutely love. See, we don't have these around here, and I don't know. If, I think they may just be a West Coast thing, but I know every time I come out here, the Wiener Schnitzel out there, I love the Wiener Schnitzel. And the first time we went out there, they had a dipped pumpkin spice cone, um, ice cream oh. cone, 
that was just amazingly delicious. And now, anytime I'm in California, I've got to go to the Wiener Schnitzel. But apparently, they do a different flavor every month, and I've yet to hit it again with the pumpkin spice. I think the problem is now. So if you have one near you, you you got to try it. You you know it's funny that you it's funny that you mentioned Wiener Schnitzel because I I I tried them a couple of times, and they brought home some hot dogs. Did you know the people in California actually hate wiener, wiener schnitzel? I even say, hey, look at the coupons. They're like, yeah, the, the coupons. Yeah, don't go to wiener schnitzel. Meg, why well, did paid, you not they tell, they me they me to tell you that like- it- they told me oh, to, to. They paid me to tell you that they're amazing and they're great, and you should definitely go to the Wiener Schnitzel, and you should get a pumpkin spice cone. Um, oh my gosh! I bet I'm, it's. I bet it's. I'm hoping their check clears. Yep. <laughs> so, so here's what we got to do. We got to do a live broadcast of the parking lot of the Wiener Schnitzel. As Francie goes to the countertop and says, "Hi, we're on the air." And we yep, got a great re- and review. Show. Do a live review of the pumpkin spice. Um, and and, and Chuck, Chuck wrote you a check, and I'm supposed to get the Wiener Schnitzel pumpkin spice. Yeah, and, yeah, and mail it back to a South Carolina. <laughs> Do you know what you got, though, that we don't have here? And I'm to have that hamburger again, rushes. That um, we don't have that in the upstate. That's like lower. That's um, Columbia and stuff. Oh man, their chili cheeseburger! Oh my gosh! Okay, next time you're in Columbia, go to Russia. I will mail uh, you a Russia's cheeseburger, and you can mail me a Wiener Schnitzel um, dipped cone. I I I am so up for that. I <laughs> I will do that. I did not know that they did not have that in upstate South Carolina. No, that's just a Columbia area thing. Wow. You know, on that pumpkin spice thing, I think stores could sell a pumpkin spice dog turd and somebody would buy it. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. I, I yeah I'll, I'll pass on that. I mean, oh, I'll pass on that, spice. but the dipped cone is yummy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it's pumpkin spice, you know. <laughs> Okay, so Tom, here's what you got to do, all right? You got to make some homemade fudge and then add the pumpkin spice and then market it oh, as a pumpkin no. spice dog turd. Oh, you should. I guess put it in one of those, put it in one of those uh those uh pans that are shaped for like corn to put them in and then bake them in that. It really look real. Exactly. <laughs> See? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Chocolate cake or something, you know. That'd be fun. You guys do that. Just turn me away from <laughs> You guys have just turned me away from pumpkin spice. Well, I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying they they put it in almost everything. Pumpkin spice Pumpkin spice flowers. Pumpkin spice dog What food, is it you know? that uh, William said a couple of weeks ago? They're going to have a pumpkin spice at bottom. No, I can't even pronounce the word. Where they they clean they clean your butt. Enema. Oh, there we go. I was going to say a bonnie. Hey, you know what? You know, you guys, you know what I think Does about pumpkin spice? Does the show come around to butts every week, or is that just when I'm on? Huh. I don't know. I, so, I, I think, think pumpkin spice is my favorite of the Spice Girls that you never saw. 
Well, I that mean, was the Bat Girl, yeah. right? Pumpkin Spice. But, but you have if there to admit, Willie Nelson was great. Spice though, was that would be my favorite. My fa- oh, <laughs> Old Spice would be great. Like in the Spice yeah. Girls, only she was like in her 70s. <laughs> exactly, yeah. well. That's okay, I'll take Ginger. <laughs> That's the color of pumpkin. See? It's the color of pumpkin. She should... I would still like okay. pumpkin spice. But Old Spice is great. That that yeah, is definitely. true. The last time the last time you were on the show we talked about pumpkin spice. No, we talked about fuzz. I think mm-hmm. Yeah, that too. <laughs> maybe they'll maybe they'll invent a spray or something or some kind of uh laxative so suppose they get crapping or farting pumpkin spice or something, you know? Well, just just I, wait. Give it give it a couple of weeks, and we'll probably see yeah. a nice uh, high end cologne about it. And a pumpkin, yeah. available only at oh, Macy's. Yeah. Yep. You will attract all the women. <laughs> yeah. Think about it. Women carry bacon, and we're going to attract all the men. Mm. Men wear pumpkin spice cologne. You're going to attract all the women. All right. All right. <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if Charles Manson would have liked pumpkin spice. I wonder because back in the sixties, I'm sure that back in his his commune, uh, they they burned incense and and things from time to time. There's a thing back then. Uh, I don't know. I was born back then, so I didn't know anything. But maybe he had pumpkin spice. You know the the thing about Family Man. What? He was all about the natural things and fruit and things of the earth, so very, very likely. Mm. So, you know, you know, one thing about Family Man that, that I wanted to say uh, on this show that I I regret. <laughs> I say that and you're going, you're, I, I can hear your eyebrows being raised. But don't, no, don't um, is, that, is that it would have been really wonderful to have spent a copy to Manson himself, but he passed, so we couldn't. Uh, but it would have been um, neat. To, I mean, he was accessible. You could actually, I mean, people actually wrote to him in prison. So it yeah. would be would have been possible. To, that, so that, that would have been interesting to see if he sent any feedback well, about where it. I got a, that's where I got a lot of my information is from the people that he did speak with a lot and that went to visit him in prison that had telephone conversations with him that corresponded with him for years. So a lot of that, a lot of my information did come from those people. So even though it didn't come from him directly, it did come from him at least indirectly. That's actually, I'm I'm glad you kind of brought that up. Well, no, I'm not kind of glad. I'm glad you brought that up, Nick. I mean, thinking when, when you found out that Charlie Manson died, you know, I got it from Facebook. I was like, oh, wow, Charlie Manson died. And everybody's like, burning hell, you bastard, you know, and all this stuff. Were you in the middle of writing the book? Were you thinking about the book? Uh, and what was your opinion on Because everybody had different opinions on his death. Some people defended him that, you know, he couldn't have been in prison all that time. Yeah, when I started doing this, when I started researching, um, it would have been about five years before his death. 
But when I started researching, I did not have writing a book in mind. The idea of the book came very near the end of the researching when I had around, I don't know, about a half a shelf of notebooks full of notes and um, another shelf full of other books that I had read on the subject, um, videotapes of stuff that I had watched repeatedly on the subject. So uh, when I started this, it wasn't, hey, I'm going to write a book about this. It was, I don't think the um, the accepted version is accurate. I think there's some really major holes in this theory, and I want to try to get to what I feel like is the truth. I want to try to understand this better. Um, so I went into it just like everyone else, thinking that, you know, oh, he was a serial killer, who, you know, which serial killers in general have always fascinated me. And that's what I went into it thinking that this is what he was. But when you get into it, there's no one that he has ever that has been confirmed or proven that he ever killed. So exactly. In the strictest sense of the word, he doesn't even qualify as a serial killer. So, but that was my original interest, and I read the book. I read Helter Skelter just like everyone else that ever gets interested in this in this case. That's what piqued my interest initially. And, of course, I believed every word of it because I was seven or eight years old the first time I read it. Yes, my parents would let me read anything. As long as I was reading, they were happy. So um, they didn't really Always care. You know, oh, you're, you're reading about people that <laughs> murdered multiple people. Okay, fine, you're reading, whatever. Um, so, so then when I reread it, you know, I reread it as a teenager. Of course, I still bought into it. At that point was when I started started seeing some of the interviews, you know, the Diane Sawyer interview, the Tom Snyder interview, the um, Geraldo Rivera interview. And so that really started piquing my interest. And then over the years, I just bought, started getting more and more books on the subject. And, you know, probably seven or eight years, well, about eight years ago, nine, ten at this point, but about eight years before I started writing the book, um, I just started really, really digging in because I said this don't – there's something about this doesn't feel right anymore. I think I, that was when I'd read Helter Skelter for like my third or fourth time, and at that point, I had more points of reference than I did when I was younger. And some of the things just didn't make sense to me, um, you know. and there's lots of contradictions in the court testimony. That where somebody will say something, and then they'll turn around and say something totally opposite just a few minutes later, and the attorneys just kind of let it go. They never, never really questioned them on that. It was just like, okay, we'll we'll go with that. Well, she just said yeah. something different just a couple of minutes ago. Why are you letting this go? You know, so that's why yeah. I kind of started digging into it. And then there's a couple of podcasts that I um, started listening to and all. Um, one was called the Tate LaBianca radio program. Um, a guy named Brian Davis does that. Um, Brian was kind enough to talk to me a lot for the book. And um, he was one of the things that really made me start digging into the case. I mean, like that, I had my own suspicions, my own interest. But then when I started listening to his show, he starts bringing up a lot of things that I had 
wondered about and I had thought about, and he starts explaining this stuff. So I just start digging and looking everywhere I can, looking at things other than Helter Skelter, other than the docu- other than the documentaries you see, uh, you know, the popular documentaries, and there's some more underground documentaries and stuff that tell you more of a more accurate and do question some of these things. And you start seeing that their versions start making a lot more sense than the official version does. Yeah. You know, so, so in other words, you pretty much went straight down the rabbit hole from that point. Exactly. And there are so many rabbit holes you can go down on this case. I know Tom O'Neill's book is super popular right now, The um, where I think it's called Chaos. Um, where he tries to link Manson to the CIA, and Tom O'Neill's got a lot bigger publisher than I do and a lot more money than I do, so he's got a lot more press than I do. But I think he went down the rabbit hole of you know, oh, Manson as a CIA informant, and I've just got to say I respect Tom as a, as a journalist. I respect the hard work he put into that. A lot of the beginning of that book I think is very accurate and very good. But once he starts going down that CIA rabbit hole, I think he totally loses his whole purpose and starts losing direction and starts telling a fantasy story that is, in my line, in my opinion, in line with Helter Skelter. You know, so he tries to correct one lie by telling another. Yeah. Hey, hey I, yeah. I have a question. Uh, uh, I, I, I've been. Um, uh, while I've been listening to you and everything and, and listened to you, the, the last show that you were on, on Francie, and having uh, personally published your book and well familiar with it, what, um, what uh, I keep listening to when I hear you talk about Manson is an, is an almost scholarly um, amount of um, knowledge in your noggin, um, doing all the research enough that you are – you could be considered a, like a – I know that there's many of them, but an authority on the subject mm-hmm. uh, the in part. line of what they're doing with Marvel's What If um, and with, like, Bill Cosby being released from prison. I hear Jared from Subway is going to be released pretty soon. What? And people that – on a What If kind of a situation, what do yeah, you think Van Houten is would be like the whole – Everything if Manson actually got paroled and and went back into society, what do you think would happen? Oh my gosh, I just wrote uh, that I think, question down to I, remember it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think that um, he would have ended up right back in prison, um, not for <laughs> murder per se, but he was a petty criminal. He had been a petty criminal his whole life. That's what he was going to be. He tried to go straight several times. Um, it just didn't work. It's who he was. Um, he was a petty criminal from the time he was five or six years old. That's what he was going to be. He was comfortable in jail. He didn't mind being in jail. Would he have liked to have been out and been off living in the desert by himself? Yeah, I think so. And maybe he could have made that work. Um, maybe if he had you know, stayed at Barker Ranch and never went back to civilization, he could have you know, just prospected and lived out there, and maybe he could have stayed free of the law. But my, I'm thinking he would have been arrested again because he wasn't even a very good criminal. That's why when they look at him as being this, you know, mastermind of these murders and stuff, 
he just really well, I I know where, was very were, intelligent. Oh. Well, they, Most criminals are um, There have been people, though, that uh, um, that have obsessed with them to the point that he they would do his any bidding. Like he, he like professed on Geraldo Rivera. I still have that, as a matter of fact, the Geraldo Rivera whole Charles Manson thing somewhere in my library on VHS. Uh, I, I saw it dozens of times because it was so fascinating. But, uh, um, it, it, you know, um, he uh, he claimed, and I, I believe this, you probably do too, I, I'd like to hear your thoughts, about um, the caliber of people over the years that are just like nuts that, that uh, would um, – would uh, like a magnet go towards him, find out where he is, and say, "We are your followers." No, well, that situation. Um, well, there's nuts for any. I mean, you know, the Menendez brothers get marriage proposals in prison. Um, yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, there's there's nuts that that's what they do. You know, is why they're drawn to that. I don't know. I mean, I can see how you'd be fascinated by it. I can't see why you would want to go marry someone that you know is never getting out of prison or that you know murdered. I mean, why does O.J. Simpson keep getting girlfriends that look exactly like his wife that he probably murdered, allegedly? And we know he did, allegedly. But, you know, yeah. I mean, so I I, I don't think that's any different. Okay, I, now. Will, I will I will speak as a female in this situation. I will tell you, it's probably because the bad boy image. It is the right. bad boy image. We like well, bad boys. Murder and is about as bad as you can be bad without <laughs> killing your wife. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Yeah, you're, now, will, now, uh, you're willing Francie, to take did, that. Did, Francie, did I be treating you any differently? No. <laughs> Something you have to say? <laughs> no, I tell you because you're the good guy. But some, I'm saying oh, okay. some women, and let's face it, you're going to be talking about, oh, wait a minute, her, uh, our Menendez brother is going to get married in prison? Snap photos. Ah, yep, that's me. You know, she probably made a million bucks off of a photo. That it, it's absolutely true. Okay, well, would you guys disagree with me on that one? I've never been attracted to. I've never seen. You know, I didn't want to write Elaine Warnos love letters. Hmm. No. Yeah, because you're you're a good guy, and actually, I would be more <laughs> attracted to you as a good guy than you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Some women they want attention, and you know that's that's what we do. Not we, I don't, but. Some women do. Yeah, yeah, but to okay. the original question, I do think Manson would have ended up right back in prison, but not for – I think it would have been for car seat, you know, for stealing cars or for maybe, you know, robbing someone, that kind of thing. I don't think it would have been for murder, but he would have ended up yeah, right back just, there for shoplifting or for, you know, something stupid. I meant like that he was not yeah. even a good criminal because he kept getting caught. Now, you know, Kind of like Ted Bundy. On, Ted uh, Bundy always got 
Ted Bundy always got caught because he was a terrible driver. Yeah. Now, kind of expanding on on Nick's theory, I, I want to take it from a different approach altogether. Um, I, I saw this in passing while channel surfing, but there's actually a TV series that's called Life After Lockup, and it's I've seen romance that. right I've after they're paroled. I've seen that. Would Charlie be, you know, if if he actually were still around or anything else, would, would, would he be like one of the main stars on that series? Oh, dude, there would be cameras following him 24-7. You know, I don't think that he would have wanted to be on something like that. That's just an opinion. Um, I think he was more private than that. Now, he did like to be an entertainer, and um, like you were talking about the Geraldo thing, what's fascinating is to find the footage of the Geraldo interview when the cameras were off. Because if you oh. see how he was when the cameras were on versus how he was when the cameras were off, it was two totally different people. Huh. So, Almost like Hitler um, he when he spoke performer. before people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he was a performer. I heard Hitler when he was, was kind of on, like that When he too. knew the camera was on, he would, he would be – he said they wanted the boogeyman. I will give them the boogeyman. Again, a direct quote. Hey, hey, Nick, you better start digging through your VHS tapes. See if you got the, uh, you know, which version you got. <laughs> yeah, you're probably yeah. going to have the version that is only the one that went on TV, which cut out all the, of course, the commercial. This was during the commercial breaks and stuff, or during, not commercial breaks, but when they were resetting cameras, you know, moving stuff around and stuff. So, um, And so when the camera wasn't officially rolling, there's some footage out there that shows just he and Geraldo conversing, and they're not being near as combative as they are when the camera's rolling. Wow. I got to see that Interesting. now. Interesting. <laughs> Chuck, I'm not going to go to bed now, thanks to you. <laughs> well, did Nick ever get you a copy of my book? That's what I need to know. Did Nick ever get it to you? No, not not yet. Uh, we're we he, he did say because I did you you sent me an email a message on Facebook and I said Nick and he said I know. All I have to do is bring up your name. That that I didn't work. That's me opening up Diet Mountain Dew. But and uh, I have started. I have started recording the audio book. I'm only a couple of chapters in, but I have started recording on it. Oh, wow. Uh, hopefully get that to you pretty soon. I think you uh, got Guys, the I'm right here. I just, there was a cat fight in the backyard, and I had to go inspect. Ah. Yeah. Did you get video? Uh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> like wet and shirt type cat fight? I, I didn't even get like feline. Uh, just sounded like feline, but it was next door, and I couldn't see a thing anyway. So I was just making sure it wasn't one of ours. Uh, we had uh, two two fatalities up on, like, Watt Avenue, just right here. It's like Pet cemetery, that road with the trucks. It's, uh, and oh, wow. cats get killed all the time there. Our close cats that, that we take inside with us, um, uh, they're, they're always okay, but it's like the neighbors cats and things and we just found like two of them within a week uh on that Mina place so was the, not uh, the neighbor's cat that was my cat, cat. Mina was mine. 
But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, I was wondering about the audiobook uh, for Family Man and stuff. And um, I signed contracts with a guy like almost about a year ago for uh, a bunch of um, audiobooks, and nothing's ever really happened with that. Not that you know, I mean, I I know what that's like. Uh, uh, and the uh, the guys like emailed me a couple of times uh, over a period of like you know once every like four months and he's going through some problems last I heard. And I know what that's like too, because I, yeah. you know, I know what they're like. Um, but but um, it turns out that, uh, that, uh, that uh, Chuck here, he's got the, the means. <laughs> so, um, that, and yeah, I, I want to talk to you about, you know, further stuff beyond family. Honestly, man, but, I was, I was uh, actually going to uh, say, your that's, new book has you also got yeah, the voice. Yeah, the new book is um, Freak on a Moped. So that will be coming as soon as Nick says it's coming. So. Yes, before the end of the month. Before nice. the end of the month. That's my goal, yes. Yes. And just to let everybody – I don't know how much more time we have, but um, I'm going to be next weekend at Cincinnati Comic Con in um, cool. Cincinnati, Ohio, of course. So if anybody's in that area and wants to come out, I'd love to see you. You know, come out and buy a copy of the book, buy a copy of the CD, get a free picture or, you know, sign it for you, whatever. Um, so, yeah, Cincinnati Comic Con next week. All right, uh, Tom, speaking – I mean – yes. Sorry, Tom. Chuck, speaking of uh, great food, um, have you ever had the Skyline Chili, a.k.a. Cincinnati Chili? I have not. Do I need to have that next week? Oh. Oh my gosh, if you do not try Cincinnati chili while you're in Cincinnati, okay, I'm as long come as it doesn't have beans. South Carolina and feed you Cincinnati. You got to get it over but spaghetti. It doesn't have beans in it, right? No beans. Okay, then then we'll do it. Yeah, I chili and beans. <laughs> no, I'm not no. Real chili does not have beans. No, it has not. no beans, and it's a cinnamon-based chili, and it's also got chocolate in it. Oh wow! Not yeah, sweet chocolate; it's got baker's chocolate. I I found the recipe. I was able to make it here. Nick it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I'm going up now, Thursday evening to set up, so I will have. And the con starts at like one o'clock on Friday, and so I will have some time Friday night and Saturday night, and I'll have to try that out. You got it now. You any gotta, uh, any possibility of some uh, South Florida dates at all? Now that the cons are opening up down here too. Um, hopefully, maybe next spring. Um, nice. I'm pretty full right now. Um, right now, I have Cincinnati Comic Con next weekend. I have there's one in my hometown here in Greenville, the first weekend in October, and then I'm going to be at one in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. In the end of November, the weekend before Thanksgiving, and then in Charlotte, North Carolina, in February for the Mad Monster Horror Convention, and that's as far as I know right now. But yeah, I, I saw there was a, one in Orlando coming up, but it kind of I had some conflicts for that one, so hopefully I can make it down there though. I'm any awesome. excuse to come to Florida, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. kind of like this weekend uh, here. 
you know, I'm, I'm closer towards the Fort Lauderdale area. So this weekend we had the uh, SuperCon. Okay. So um, yeah, over, uh, send uh, the me, whole, uh, Miami message area me. For, uh, yeah, message me and kind of let me know. In fact, um, yeah, I'm going to be in Miami, but I'm going to be there extremely briefly. One thing I would like to say is you're mentioning all these dates all around the Carolinas. When I was in South Carolina, there was really no conventions. There was no nothing. I'm glad to see that the Carolinas are really embracing a lot of this now. Oh, yeah, the um, Charlotte. Always, um, Charlotte's had Mad Monster and Days of the Dead for quite a few years, um, and then Greenville's had the Greenville Comic Con, or well, it's actually called South Carolina Comic Con because it's the biggest one in the state. It's right here in Greenville, and then Columbia has one now. Charleston has one. Myrtle Beach has wow. one. So they're they're all over. Now those are all um, Comic Cons. Um, not as many horror cons, but I've really done well at the comic cons. I was I was surprised because, you know, there's crossover, but some people some people couldn't care less about horror that's are there, but there seems to be a lot of people that do. So I've really done well at them. So that's why I'm going to try the Cincinnati one to see how it goes. And we'll see how if that one goes well, then I'll try to venture a little further. I haven't wanted to venture very far for the comic cons just until I get a good grasp on how well they're going to go, but so far they've been really good. Well, that's good. I mean, you know, Comic Con's got a pretty exp- little bit of everything. Uh, you know, it's it's amazing to see how it's changed over the years. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. do. They have a lot more to offer now. It's they've kind of turned into more of a pop culture convention than just a comic convention. Yep. Oh, yeah, that's true. So is there any uh, killers that you're going to go after work in future works that you're thinking of doing books on? Or As of right now, I only intend to do total fiction from this point forward. Now, that okay. could, of course, change. Um, who knows? I mean, you know, who knows? I will, I'll never say never about anything, but I, I only have so many eight-year periods to research left. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, I can I can write a fiction book in, you know, less than a year without having to research it for eight years first. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah, yeah the, the, uh, the, the secret is the coffee. <laughs> so I've got the one turned Pum- in that, Pumpkin you know, Nick is going to try to turn around soon. And I've got two more kind of in the works, so we'll see where they go. And plus, I've got a new movie script that I'm writing, and of course, new music. So all kind of stuff. I, I keep myself busy because it's nicer for me to be outside my head than it is to be inside it. <laughs> That's true. And it keeps you out of trouble. Um, <laughs> you 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 were talking about your music, and we haven't had a lot of time to talk about that because we were so. Charles Manson, I mean, come on, you could talk about him for hours. Uh, oh, yeah, I feel like we barely did, you know. <laughs> I know. I mean, I can talk about Manson. We, so, if, so if, Nick, if you want to set me up any speaking tours on the Manson case, oh. hey, I'm in. So. Hey, that would be great. <clears throat> yeah. There you go. In fact, people would go. In fact, you know, I have quite a few artifacts um, 
quite a few pieces from Barker Ranch, a few things from Spawn Ranch, and even a few things from the murder houses, which I obtained, we will say, legally. Oh. So there's some stuff that, well, you know, I can share yeah, with people. Yeah, you've got but. the, you've got the uh, uh, recordings and such, too. I remember... I remember doing the, ooh, the last time you were on the show and you were talking about what you have. Yeah. Yeah, I've got some cool um, stuff. That's, that's really cool. That's, that's, that's awesome. I have, that's, uh, I have another, another show. <laughs> well, you're, you're, so, you're so listeners, uh, So, you know, listeners, uh, anybody that's been listening, following Francie and Friends and paying particular attention to, when Chuck W. Chapman is on the show and all about, uh, you know, Charles Manson did that. Like I said before, it's, uh, he's, he's, uh, um, has a lot of uh, a wealth of information um, enough to like fill like, uh, you know, a whole bookcase full of, you know, stuff and things. So when it comes to, when it comes to family, man, uh, you guys got to pick it up and the audio book and all the everything. But okay. Chuck uh, Chapman is eh, okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I could go I, on. I, I was going to say, um, <laughs> Chuck, I don't, I don't have a, a a birthday show scheduled, and I know Tom can't be here, and he's probably going to be kicking his ass because he's going to be walking his daughter down the aisle. No, no, you're not going to be kicking his ass. You're going to be happy. Okay, that came out wrong. What would you say if we did a full Charles Manson show on, I don't know. Well, what I was thinking of, uh, what I was trying to get at, too, is uh, um, unlike, uh, you know, I I love my authors. Um, What you bring to the table, Chuck, is not just the books. It's the music, too. So you could, like, do Buddy again. Um, you could do like a speech about Charles Manson, question Q and A thing, and bring out your guitar, um, especially after you're more healed and everything. But you've got you're like a one man show, um, and uh, it, it, we I'm can do something like that. That's for sure. I, I also wanted to say for whoever's listening, I'm going to put this up on the Black Bitchy Books group page on Facebook and everything. But I I, I didn't officially announce it. Anybody who's listening, any author that's listening, you're more than welcome, as long as you can get here, to be here on Halloween for, like, uh, our, like, hopefully, like, again, 900 trick-or-treaters and um, be a part of our anthology that I'm going to give away for free that you could sign. Uh, and, and, Chuck, if, if you can do that, too, bring your guitar I would love music. Oh, oh, yeah. Anybody that anybody that's listening right now, and I'm going to make an official announcement. Fred Weehy's already going to be here, and um, and we're Wee-hee. going to have all kinds of stuff. I, I want to. Have, it's like a mini convention. We have room, um, and we're going to have plenty of people. I mean, we've been doing this for years now, so it's it's kind of legendary in these here parts. But uh, just um, uh, Chuck or Tom. Um, any of my authors, you're welcome to come here, be a part of the anthology and stuff that we're going to give away and all the whole hoopla. If you can get here, we've got space, so you don't even have to get a motel room or anything. So just to throw that out there while we're on the subject. Nice. 
Nice. Yeah, if I all goes well, I'm in, I think, Belize or Honduras one on Halloween, but if anything changes, I may have oh, to make give it to up, California you, you instead. Oh, you give up us for the Honduras? No, I'm going to be crazy, Is that what you're saying? I'm kidding. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, William, you you would also be welcome to. He's not a black bitch. He books author. He's you know under somebody else. Oh well, yes sir. What's Swordway? Swordway. It'll be fun. <laughs> Unfortunately, this October, man, I'm booked kind of a lot. I got a wedding and. Uh, I know. You know. Your 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 daughter's getting married on my birthday. Yeah. So think about it. 20 years on celebrating your daughter's 20-year anniversary? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm I'll be 81, then. I'm going to be... I'm going to be 29. Okay. <laughs> Again? Again. Again. <laughs> exactly. Girls never... Women never... Uh, uh, speaking of your career, one thing that... Seven years, uh, Chuck. Seven years you traveled all over the East Coast with a traveling band. Yes. Because I do want to talk about your music career. That's, that is commitment. Oh, it was fun. It was a blast. Yeah. I was in my 20s, and I, I wish it could have lasted forever. But yeah, commit. I mean, so, you know, those types of memories are priceless, and Lord knows how you know that that's the perfect fodder for any type of writing material too. If you if you really want to put your heart to it. Yeah, most of those stories I don't want anyone that knows me now to hear. But <laughs> well, that's why you go with the art of nonfiction, other characters. <laughs> Yeah, I always said if I ever write like an autobiography or anything, I won't do it until my mother is dead and my um, kids are uh, very old. So there you go. <laughs> so that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> but hey, one can always hope. <laughs> One one thing I will say about um, when I look at your photos, in fact, on my screen, and if Nick was inside, he could verify it. I got all your photos actually on my screen. You know who Edwin McCain is, right? Um, yeah, I know Edwin fairly well. We live. Okay, um, I was gonna say you're from South Carolina. You should have. You should know who Edwin um, McCain. His father. His father is was actually my kid's pediatrician. Oh my gosh! Wow. I'm like, and I'm, then when I'm Edwin freaking... did, when Edwin had his um, show about refurbishing the boats, what was it called? Rockin', rockin' boats or whatever it was. Rockin' the boat, I think it was called. When he was doing the boats, where he was like taking people's boats and turning them into, you know, like real cool dream machines. I actually am the one that did the. Um, Custom lettering and striping and stuff for him for those for the boats on there. Oh, nice! And oh my gosh, I, another, I did not. Another stranger than fiction. Um, my ex-wife was his personal trainer when he was on tour. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so yeah, wow. we we um his 
he lives right around the street from my office, so you know I'll run in, run into him at the gas station occasionally, and all. You know, um, he's just around here. You see him a lot, so you know everybody knows who he is and knows what he's done. But it's like you see him so often that he's really not that big a deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like Woody and the Blowfish in South Carolina. I was uh, I was a manager of the uh, Windsong Ten. Only theater with THX sound. I I was the voice for Windsong Ten. We're the only theater with THX sound in Columbia. <laughs> that was us. Um, Woody and the Blowfish, not Darius, but the rest of the Blowfish came in. I know they're not the Blowfish, but. They all came in, and it's kind of like, ah, oh, okay, it's you guys again. Yeah. No, <laughs> we never gave them things. You know, you can't. What are you guys doing tonight? And yeah, they did cool have free tickets. You know, they were like, hey, two, two adults for such and such, and, you know, and we never treat. Well, Evan McCain, though, he's kind of. Come on, Hootie or Edwin? Who did you like better? Come on, give it up. Um, I personally like Edwin better. I, I just think he, he structures his songs better. I think he's a better songwriter in general. Now, as far as what's catchy and works, I mean, you're never going to beat the formula of a black guy that sounds like a white guy or a white guy that sounds like a black guy. I mean, it's been pro- as a proven formula of success in music forever. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've seen it when David Letterman uh, uh, did the premiere of Hootie and the Blowfish, and he said, "There, here's my new favorite band," and <laughs> it was Hootie and the Blowfish. And me and my, we knew he, they came from South Carolina. We heard them, and you know, not to be a racist, but we, they showed up and they were doing. I want to hold your hand. Me and my brothers was like, Darius is black? <laughs> well, that's not racist. I mean, not in the racist <laughs> way. We were just shocked. Well, he yeah. doesn't sound like it. And like I said, that's been a formula for success in the music industry forever. I mean, Elvis, you know, was the same <clears> way. <throat> People thought Elvis was black when he was white. You know, and it was a formula yeah, for yeah. success. You know, on the countryside, Charlie Pride and um, – you know, if you go into even now, Eminem and Pitbull and people like that, you know, I mean, anytime you have a white guy that sounds black or a black guy that sounds white, it's a formula for success in the music business. Mm-hmm. All right, Darius yeah. Rucker then, country or Darius Rucker Hootie and the Blowfish? I say Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh, yeah, Nick's I guess Hootie for the country. Hootie, so. Thank you. Yeah, Rock me, Nick, Mama, like a wagon wheel. Oh, <laughs> oh come on. Tomorrow yeah, used to be a day away. Now love is gone. That yeah. was again, though, you, you also have the um, that real fun challenge. You know, with well, you the, know, with my, the glory of the uh, genres with um, you know, Wagon Ray Wheel Long. was a cover, too. What? Uh-huh. I said Wagon Wheel was actually a cover. That wasn't an original Darius song. That was Old Crow Medicine Show. Oh, I had no idea about that. I did wow. not know that. Hey, nobody listening probably even knew that. <laughs> wow. 
I did not know that either. I always bother Francie with that song because Rock me, mama, like what? I'm just sitting here thinking, like, oh, my gosh, this is not Darius Rucker. He's Hootie and the Blowfish. She also hates Taylor Swift songs. Hey, oh they like Driver God. Crazy, so, too. I'm sick of her. Driver in I liked her until she got all political. And, I get, you know, that just turns me off when... You know, I mean, everybody's entitled to their opinion, and you know, I guess if you if you've got a platform and you feel, but you know, just because you have a platform doesn't mean you need to use it. Exactly. Yeah. And leave yeah. it out. Like leave a lot of late night talk show hosts. Like a lot of late night talk show hosts. Yeah, I was yeah, I, mean, I was a huge fan of you two. I mean, who wasn't? But then they got so political, and it's kind of like, okay, I don't want to hear it no more. Well, they kind of always were. I think, you know, people people knew that going in. But in general, you know, I want to be entertained. Um, Exactly. I I get enough of the real world in the real world. When I want to hear my music or I want to watch my movies or I want to watch a sports event or whatever, I want to be entertained. I don't want to be preached to. You know, yeah, I don't have a bit of a with those people doing what they exactly. have to do it's on it's their time. Worse and worse. Yeah, if yeah, you want to use your platform, you know, as a famous whatever to go out on your time and do a rally or do a speech, more power to you. But if I paid good ticket money to see you do whatever you do, whether that be music, um, Football, whatever, then do what I paid to see. Exactly. I would rather see Janet Jackson's boob 20 more times than to hear somebody say, F somebody. You know, it's kind of like, okay, you know. Well, um, I mean, in the worst case, no, I I mean, in in the worst case scenario, you can always try to disrupt the rally, just start screaming, play (laughs) Freebird. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, chances are personal opinion. I mean, I don't, I don't really care. But I mean, it does sort of turn me off to things. You know, I mean, I try not it to be preachy. I don't want to be preachy in anything that I do. I mean, that's the whole reason my CD was called Girls and Cars and Things That Matter, because I'm like, okay, let's get rid of all the political BS and all of trying to have something to say, and let's just think about girls and cars. You know, along those lines, uh, what's really funny, I've noticed, Francie, I've I've noticed lately in my personal life reflecting on prior years, and I know exactly what that's about. And it's it's funny because my parents, I thought they were they were in a different bracket and a different, you know, and they had like they they liked their stuff that they grew up with. Uh, versus stuff that was going on currently as they grew older. And I see the same thing in myself that I like a lot of the stuff that I grew up with that were back in more innocent days or more, you know, instead of what's going on these days. I'm finding myself like kind of, you know, going back to those days, going that was a simpler time, just like my parents did back in the day. Yeah. I, I will say this, though. Your mom was up to date on one thing, and I'm not going to say a name, but your mom did like a certain president. 
Um, Probably shouldn't have said that. We'll just leave it at that. Well, she liked a, a bunch of ones over the years. We were all like Democrat at first, but it was all like weird. Like, you know. Yeah, hard pod. Oh. You kind of, yeah. Whoever sounded like that. That's how I grew up one. with, really. was. Uh, I mean, in the sixth grade, I was really into Jimmy Carter and all of his peanut cartoons. And that's what I was into. And I said, Jimmy Carter for president, Ronald Reagan, boo. Later, as I grew up, I thought, uh, I, I kind of figured that Ronald Reagan was a better president than Jimmy Carter, yes. And Jimmy Carter's still alive. He's done a lot of stuff. So it's a whole can of worms, but it's not Democrat or Republican. It's just a, a way exactly. of perceiving things on a. On a exactly. Basis. Yeah. Um, so, but um, anyway. Want to like put myself on a pedestal here? <laughs> it's still all about uh, all about this phenomenal writer and musician named Chuck W. Chapman. <laughs> Which also, I gotta tell you, listening to your music, uh, you and I hope you like this guy also. You kind of remind me of a cross between um, Tom Cochran, not Tom, Life is a Highway. Yeah, that's Tom Cochran. His name's Tom Cochran. And Edwin McCain, and I love your music. Well, thank you. I really do. You've got that. You. Huh? I said I will take those as compliments. I I hope you do because I think Tom Cochran, you know, I think he was not. He, of course, he. He's huge. I mean, he's great. And with your listening to your music, because I've listened to your music, and I I think that that's you're right there with the both of them. And it's you're kind of grunge rock and roll, and I like it. You know, you know what came to mind, Francie, about Chuck. Um, and I kind of think you could take it as you will. I think it's kind of a little profound, but I mean, I've seen in my course of my lifetime, my number of a guy singing and playing guitar with a microphone. You know, I, I've seen it on TV. I've seen it in real life <laughs> over and over and over again. Um, the thing is, um, Chuck also writes, and that's where my neck of the woods is concerned of. And, and as a publisher, I look out for what I learned in the course of my life about writing, finding your voice. And um, once you find your voice uh, in writing, you can find your voice in everything. It applies to everything, all the arts. I, I don't yeah. know about technology and all that crap, but all the arts and all the creativity type stuff. Um, and I can see there's a parallel with Chuck's music as the guy that stands up in front of a microphone singing with a guitar and his writing that he's found his voice in. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I'm getting together his, his new book and I'm just getting to know what his um, uh, um, like uh, fictitious, the fictitious part of him versus the Manson stuff. Um, uh, that type of writing, and it, it kind of just falls in line with finding your voice, which is what I, I've taught people over the years, and I've learned myself and all the 
Well, it's a, it applies in the arts, like I said. I think that it applies <laughs> in both media with Chuck um, because he's a, he's a musician to pay attention to as much as a writer. That's why, Chuck, I think that, you know, you should exploit your your um, uh, your uh, uh, music along with your writing, too. Like, instead of, I mean, you're one of the few people, I, I don't think I have another one, another author under my belt that uh, can potentially go to a book signing, sign books, and play a couple of songs on the guitar. I, I will yeah, tell you. Why not both? It'll be the book signing concert. I, I was I was watching Nick uh, do that speech from a distance, and he was conducting an orchestra as if he was saying, "Play the music." <laughs> Literally, he was like d- d- conducting an orchestra. That's a good sign. <laughs> you know what's really cool is uh, come to think of it as an afterthought is. Um, I, and I'm going to do more future – I'm going to get together with Joe Moe and do more future Days of the Dead, being that that's been actively going on again and everything. And, and he invited me to do so. But it's really cool that uh, people like Chuck, I was introduced through doing that with the Days of the Dead convention anthologies uh, because of Joe Moe. So it's really cool. That's, that's, oh, yeah, I have other publishers cool are listening. That. This is a great idea to get involved. And in, I've always been against him. Not really against anthologies are a dime a dozen, but when you get a niche of an anthology to go for it, then that's something because ultimately you get a lot of people involved. You learn what they're about, and then over a period of time, I mean, you just it's all like networking and everything else too. You you just um, uh, you have to do stuff like that. Uh, but uh, it's, a, it's a niche like Days of the Dead. If it wasn't for that, I never would have heard of who, who Chuck who. <laughs> yeah. so well, and you know, if, if my story hadn't got picked for that anthology, I would have probably sub- never submitted anything to anyone else because I would have figured I probably wasn't good enough. If that like the Marvel What If scenario, like the What If scenario, if that happened – uh, that should never, you know, you just got to keep doing it so that maybe next year somebody would accept you or something. Anybody that's listening, yeah, don't ever let that, like, yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, don't, don't, be, don't be as manic-depressive as I am. Whoever's listening, don't be as manic-depressive as I am. That's words to live by. <laughs> you know, yeah, just keep keep pushing forward. I mean, you know, a rejection is only just one. There's others that you can turn yeah. to, so... Yeah, but honestly, I would have probably just thought, okay, I need to stick to doing music or I need to stick stick to writing screenplays or something that I've had some success with because I must not be good enough this way. You know, it wouldn't have kept me from writing, period, but it probably would have kept me from submitting anything else for something like that. I would have just probably went back to doing the stuff that I was comfortable with. So it, you know, it was a shot in the dark that worked out. Yeah, I was going to say, stepping out of your comfort zone mm. can sometimes be rewarding. Yeah, without yeah, a doubt. Know, I'd written multiple stories over the years, but they're they're all just in notebooks. You know, I'd never really sent anything in. Um, so, other than a poem, I think that I got published when I was like 16 or something. <laughs> 
<laughs> so now you committed yourself, and I think that this could be, because I do have a friend. I used to babysit him. Oh, I'm old. <laughs> and now he's a grown-up, and he wants to get in with this Joe Mo, and he wants to get into writing, and he's a little scared, and I'm trying to tell him, do it, man. Just do yeah. it. Submit him. Joe Mo wants yeah, to man. talk to him. You know, he's he's got that, take it and run with it. Well, that's the you thing. You know, the thing, about, so the, thing about, well, the thing about writing versus other arts and, and stuff, especially when it comes to people that are shy about it, that that are afraid to, like, submit stuff, is it's not like an acting audition or music audition or you don't have to go face-to-face or anything like that. You, you're, you have no face. You have no. So us introverts, <laughs> including me, I mean that that I I know what it's like. Uh, my, man, you know, um, I you just it's it's, only endeavor. It's kind of the ultimate yeah. for people like that. So it's hard for me to put my head around understanding exactly the inhibitions. I I do understand, but it could be a lot worse. And so well, it's just see, to me it's just the opposite. With just the words on the paper, or even as an artist with just your artistry and submitting it to somebody, you know, without showing your face and stuff, you could live in a closet. But you could do well, all see, the to me though, I like being it. on a stage. So you know, I like being on a stage and having that interaction and being able to get that instant gratification. Oh, yeah. so, oh, that's the beauty about that's one of the beauties about you because you you like to do that too. You, you're like a like I said, like a one man show, and you've got books. Uh, uh, um, yeah, and, and you're very Nick, good at both. I, I'm going to go ahead so. and say it, uh, Chuck. You're also a hottie. <laughs> Honestly, I, I won't go as far as that. Well, I'm not going to say hottie, but I'll say this much. You're definitely a prolific author and uh, one heck of a great musician. Um, yeah, I, I've actually I know. been uh, drafting a, a few projects from your song. You've got a brain on top of everything else. I mean, Chuck, you're the full package. <laughs> Here we one are singing his praises. And you yeah, didn't have to kill anybody too. to get that full package. Honestly, I mean, come on, think now, about do it, you, Chuck. Do you really know that for sure? You got a great person. I I I will say this. I look at your photos. You got the cutest little hair, Nick. Tonight, I'm not not going to run away with Chuck together. You know, you're comfortable enough in our relate. Chuck, you're a hottie. I mean, come on, you're funny. You're witty. You got a great imagination. You're talented. Come on, you know you're a hottie. <laughs> Thank you very much. She has got no. uh, a theatrical sized poster how, how many of you behind glass above our bed. What? What was that? <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> well, no. <laughs> Wait, much what? Information. What? Good night, Chuck. I mean, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to let you know you're, you're a hottie I mean, honestly you kind of Come on Well, says that about all the guys Now, now no, Chuck, I, I, I will say this much um, 
yeah, when uh, when Francie oh first told me that uh, you were coming on to the show, I had to I, I I actually got you mixed up with somebody else. I'll be the first to admit because she sent me uh, one of your pictures and she's like, "It's gonna be awesome." You might know him; he's a guitar player. And I looked, I'm like, "Oh my god, you booked Joe Walsh." <laughs> Joe Walsh. Wow, that'll that'll bring yeah, Rocky Mountain way. <laughs> you know, let's, let's say no, but he's close enough. He plays guitar, and he's from South Carolina, like I am. <laughs> so, like, all right, yeah, I like him I've already. never, I've never heard Joe Walsh described as a hottie. <laughs> <laughs> like Rick Ocasek. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I guarantee tomorrow morning when people are – we're in the after party now, so I'm allowed to say it. Nickerdoodle, you know I love you. But he is a hottie. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and I guarantee that tomorrow morning women are going to listen to this show in the after party, and they're going to say, yeah, he is. And – they're going to be well, like why? in the Warner Brothers cartoons where the chickens, where Bing Crosby would croon to the chickens and they would hatch a bunch of eggs. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, my you know, ego will take all those things. You're not a rotten egg. <laughs> no, you, 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 okay, now, you are, now, okay. Now, if we, if, we, if, if he starts getting the Tom Jones syndrome, they start throwing up their panties and bras and, uh, then that, it's going to be a whole other ball game. Yeah, that was uh, 20 years ago. So. All right. The the British woman is going to cut us off, and she's going to say, Chuck's a hottie. <laughs> so we... <laughs> Tell her the next time she does off. that, she owes us a basket of fish and chips. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm embarrassed. <clears throat> Uh, she, if I had another woman on here, like William, we sh- we should get your wife or Tom. We should get, oh, we should get their guy's wife on here, and they're gonna see. They're gonna. Well, Tom, well we're, we're, we're we're gonna have to do a show like on a Friday night or a Monday night for my wife because she's up at three thirty in the morning for work. So. All right, uh, Chuck. I hope I didn't chase you off. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but but hope you have much fun to have you did. back again. Yeah. Oh, sure. Anytime. Yeah. It's always, always Where fun. can we always find fun. Chuck W. Chapman at BlackBitchyBooks.com? Yeah, everything. Everything is Chuck W. Chapman, Instagram, um, Facebook, Twitter, um, uh, Reverb Nation for my music. Um, Also, um, gosh, I can't even remember. But, yeah, everything Chuck W. Chapman will lead to me. Excellent. Apparently there's another couple of guys out there, one guy named Chuck Chapman that was a basketball player in the NBA back in the 50s or 60s and there's another one that apparently invented or, or discovered a um, 
genus of the plant of an iris. So there's actually a Chuck Chapman iris that named they oh named the flower God. after him. Yeah, so that's why I put the W in everything to keep me separate from those guys in search. You know <laughs> what's really do. weird? What's really weird that you just said right now was when you were talking about where to find you, um, I, I was uh, I was thinking of other Chuck Chapmans that I've heard of in my life, and then you started mentioning there's other Chuck Chapman, and I keep thinking I, I know his last name is Chapman, but Amy Grant's husband that used to beat her back in the oh god <laughs> back in the late eighties, yeah. uh, his name was Chapman. He he like. Uh, I used to be want to be a Christian rock star, so I was all into the whole Christian music scene. So I know yeah, that Stephen, Stephen him and her and what happened, but it was Chapman. It was Chapman. <laughs> anyway, yeah, anyway. I, the notorious one is the Mark David Chapman that shot John Lennon. I'm like, you jerk off. Yeah. You have to have my name. Right, right, right. 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 So, yeah, and also in Anaheim. <laughs> A prominent street in Anaheim, where I grew up with, uh, grew up in uh, the, the first half of my life. One of the prominent streets was Chapman Avenue. <laughs> wow, Chapman Avenue. It's a side. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. It was preordained. It was. It was Chapman is. Yeah, you should like do a a, a search on uh, your lineage or something like that. See where uh, Chapman like uh, goes goes far far far. Um, Chapman is English. It it um actually means merchant. So so I'm related to other people named Merchant or Marchant, which got was a variation of the merchant name. And Chapman meant sharp shopkeeper or merchant. So so it's English. Oh. So I know that I'm English, and then on my on my father's side, both my grandmother and grandfather was English. Then on my mother's side, it's Irish and Cherokee Indian. So, ah, mm. Cherokee Irish. Woohoo! Ah, there you go. Ah. Uh, 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 Chuck, Very we simple. are about to be cut off. I do want to play one of your songs. As the closing song. That, oh, you know what though? Before before we do anything else, that reminded me of the scene in Wayne's World when Alice Cooper broke character and said, "Yes, I I'm a part of the you know." <laughs> Remember that? Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 I need right. to go no further. <laughs> All right. Okay, All Fancy. Right. All right, we're gonna play Chuck Chapman's song. Which hit number one? Who's ever 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.